Blog Talk Radio. So it's faith-based. So you're involved with faithism, not atheism, right? It was that you said, saying that you know a lot of Christians, um, they maybe text or they maybe email you, and you know they were pretty much scared of you. And I said, oh, okay, that's challenge, okay. No, I believe the Bible. I don't believe the Bible is saying that slavery is okay because it gives instructions about how to handle slavery. Andrew, that's faith. You just said you accept evolution, evolution theory. So that's faith. You got faith in a theory. By any chance, are you gay? Uh, what do you think about well, totes? Hello, everyone. Hello. Thanks so much for joining me here again on the Atheist Roundtable. Listen, you do not want to miss a second of tonight's show. And I'm afraid my interview went just a tad bit long for my 30 minutes here on Blog Talk Radio. So we're going to skip straight into the interview with Trav Mamone. Uh, Trav is one of the most... Thank you for joining me tonight on the Atheist Roundtable. Tonight, you're not going to want to miss this. I have... Trav Mamone, and Trav is one of those awesome people that you might not have heard of yet, but once you see all the great and glorious things that they're doing, you're like, I don't know how I have missed this. This is the person that's been missing from my life. This is the, this is the voice that I needed to hear, uh, because that's the way I, fa- I felt when I first found Trav, and all the great and glorious things that they're doing. Trav, welcome to the Atheist Roundtable. Hey, thanks for inviting me. So, I found your Facebook page, and I and, and that's awesome, because that's just kind of the way that you begin to stalk a person online. Uh, that's right. that, that seems to be the thing uh, to do. Uh, and I kind of want to talk a little bit about your, your background first to get an idea, to get a, an idea of who is Trav. You describe yourself as a bisexual, genderqueer humanist. And all of these words sound like the kind of word that one would use to describe oneself after a long, inward look at oneself. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that's kind of how, how, um, how it came about. Um... I don't know how far you want me to go back. Um, well, I should say that as a kid, I was always a very weird kid. Like, I was always a square peg in a world full of round holes. Um, well, I should also point out that I've been struggling with mental illness for most of my life. I have what I call a mental health, mental illness cocktail of depression, anxiety, and ADHD, and so the other kids sort of picked up on this and took advantage of it quite a bit, so I was, always felt like the outsider. Well, kids have an amazing and ability also, to do that. Right, exactly. And, um, it also didn't help that I always felt kind of girly, like I would see all the boys socialize and I just felt like it was a very strange foreign world to me and I've always felt more comfortable playing with the girls um, as far as my religion goes growing up I was raised as what I like to call a wedding and funeral Christian the only time 
my family and I ever went to church was for, you know, weddings and funerals. But I was taught Bible stories. It was, wasn't really indoctrinated. Christianity was presented to me more for as sort of like, more about inspiration and spirituality. Fast forward to high school. The depression got worse. The bullying got worse. Still felt like an outsider and also started to realize I could be attracted to anyone of any gender, but didn't really feel gay enough to come out. And at, until I was about 17, I was dating this girl who is a Christian and she basically during one night when I was having a really bad night, she offered me some comforting words about Jesus and stuff and I I don't know, I guess it sort of clicked for me then, so I ended up becoming a born-again Christian. Um, it, it's funny, a lot of a lot of my atheist friends, they say, you know, well, I, I read the Bible all the way through, and that's why I'm an atheist. My situation was a little bit different. It's like, I was so overcome with joy that when I started reading the Bible and saw all of the horrible stories in the Old Testament about, you know, rape and murder and killing all the Canaanites and this smashing babies' heads against the rocks and this and that, I was, I, I chose to sort of brush them off like, eh, God was having a bad day that day. Wow. So so you when you're you're seventeen, you're involved with a girl, you're having a bad night, and there's an inspirational I don't know come to Jesus moment and at, yeah and and so you dove head first into Christianity how how deep down did you get well I never was I never could be an outright fundamentalist I mean I believe I believed at the time that the Bible was the word of God but I couldn't bring myself to say that even though I wasn't like totally pro-gay, I couldn't bring myself to say that, you know, the homosexuals are going to ruin America or anything like that. So like, no, my uncle's gay and, you know, he's a pretty cool guy. And plus, also, with my own sort of sexual fluidity, well, I didn't really put a name to it at the time. I just thought it was, I don't know, kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I never really got, I never became, like, full 100% fundamentalist, but I was definitely, I, like you said, I dove headfirst into Christianity and Christian culture. I mean, to me, God was the thing that was keeping my life from spinning out of control, even though... Looking back, I actually internalized a lot of bad ideas from Christianity, from uh, Christian dogma. Like, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of an example. Well, there, there was a lot of sex negativity that I kind of internalized. I'm still working on, on working out. So, you know, I think that uh, religion for a person who uh, who uh, would describe themselves as a with a, as a cocktail of mental illness um, right. feeling as though they're an outsider 
looking for a place to belong would be extraordinarily attractive. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I can easily see what the attraction uh, to, 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 to a community that, at least at first, would accept you uh, un- seemingly unconditionally uh, with, with welcoming open arms. I can absolutely see the draw to that. Right, right, especially also in the gospel stories, how Jesus, you know, hung around the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the other misfits in life. It was like, wow, this is this is right up my alley. Mm-hmm. Although things started to change in my mid-20s when I actually became engaged to a girl, and her family was like really strongly Calvinistic, where, like, the biblical gender roles were set in stone. You know, man is the uh, spiritual head of the house, so I was almost to be, like, you know, basically personally responsible for my fiancé's religion, which, and it it was, like, so, so much pressure on me to be this godly man that, you know, my feelings of, you know, not feeling like a total boy sort of came back 100-fold to me, and it was such a rough time. We were together for about a good six years, until finally, uh, the six years we were together, I was only happy for three of them, and Mm. finally, at, at one point, I told my therapist, I making plans to commit suicide and she said you know get out of this relationship now and so I did and shortly after that I came out as uh, bi now I was still a Christian at the time um, leaving Christianity came shortly after I basically I always had questions about religion and God but never really entertained well actually I did entertain them but at the time, I was deeply involved with the progressive emergent church, which, you know, they told me that, you know, I can still be a Christian and believe that being queer is okay, you know, and that evolution is real, and that um, the Bible doesn't have to be 100% factual, that I didn't even have to believe in the virgin birth anymore and still be a Christian. And so, I, so yeah, I was slowly deconstructing my beliefs until eventually I started watching videos from Richard Dawkins. I mean, I'm not a huge Richard Dawkins fan, but he at least, he at least got me to think, you know, well, what is the, where is the evidence for God? So I just started exploring that until I realized there was no evidence. So, uh, I've been an atheist for about, I'd say, um, two or three years now. Oh, you're a baby. You're just a little atheist baby. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and because you're so new to atheism, what strikes me most is that when I was two or three years in, I was, sort of still am, in the real angry phase. 
The really religion sucks. Religion people bad. You know that that was my <laughs> that was where I was for the first couple of years. Um, uh, you don't seem to have that anger. Well, it kind of comes and goes. Like I actually, when I left Christianity, I was. It took me about a good year to identify as an atheist because I didn't want to be the angry atheist person, you know. I met plenty of Christians to know that, you know, not all Christians were bad, mm -hmm. but I don't know. I guess maybe I still had Stock Stockholm Syndrome at the time. It hasn't been until, like, the last uh, uh, year or so where I've looked back at as I said earlier, all of the negative, bad ideas that I absorbed from Christian dogma, that I kind of realize, it's like that meme on Facebook, you know, ever think to yourself, wow, I've been through a lot of shit. That's been happening with me a lot lately. So now I'm a bit angered, not to the point where her life I refuse to have civil conversations with people, but I make it very well. I I make no um, you know, I I don't I keep no secrets about how I feel about religious dogma. Sure, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I guess you've just reached that uh, that point of maturity that uh, that I struggled to reach. So um, it's. It, 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 there is a um, there is a point where where, where anger is useful, but yeah. uh, just not in a growling, shaking fist, stomping feet kind of way. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> but it, it sounds to me then that um, your your religious journey sort of paralleled your sexual identity, gender identity. Journey, but yeah, yeah, it did. You're gonna have to forgive me because I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a dummy. Um, uh -huh. I've 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 had conversation I've had the, the the awkward conversations with with gay people years ago because there were plenty of those dudes and gals around to have those conversations, and uh, there were even a few trans people, uh -huh. binary trans people. Uh, that I could have those awkward conversations with, and then I and, and then that was that. Gender queer, uh, and, and there were plenty of bisexual people. We got that. That was gender queer people. Um, I've not been able to pick their brains. So, hello, guinea pig. <laughs> <laughs> is is gender queer the same as androgyny? Um, well, uh, kind of, sort of. Androgyny is sort of more like, androgyny, like, well. So th this is the way. Queer oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, well, so so when I say androgyny, um, I'm Asian. So uh, androgyny seems to be a thing amongst Asians. Uh, I don't know why. I, I, I can't explain it. Uh, cosplay is a thing amongst Asians, and uh, that's weird too. So um, I, there's a when, whenever I think of androgyny, then I'm for some reason 
be, because I'm weird and there's something wrong with my brain. I conjure in my mind a picture of a person whose outward appearance has been, that, that, that this person is putting forth an outward appearance that, that, that seems, at least to me, to be crafted so that the gender of the person cannot easily be discerned. Okay? If, if that's, right. if that's, you know, uh, and, and a lot of Asian dudes, gals, who knows, seem to take this to an art form. And it's, it, I think it's awesome. Um, just because, again, weird. Um, I, I don't know if androgyny then is an outward expression of gender queer. Or if it's just a thing that some people do, because it it it, it may it makes them feel more them. Um. Well, androgyny is sort of more about gender expression, whereas gender queer is more about gender identity. Like, like I feel like I don't feel like just a femme guy. I actually feel like I am. Like a boy and a girl combined, and so so androgyny is sort of like the way I present myself, but gender queer is the way I identify. Uh, the way I identify, I uh, explain being gender queer is this: if you mix red paint with yellow paint, you get a brand new color, orange, right? Well, for my gender, it's like a mixture of boy and girl. That creates a brand new gender, what I call gender queer. Sure, yeah, makes good sense. Um, uh, yeah, it uh, personally for me, I'm colorblind, so but I get I get the analogy. Um, people tell me that red and yellow make orange, and I believe them. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, that, that's why I have to have my wife put my clothes out uh, for myself, otherwise. I don't, I don't look good. So, um, was the hardest part then finding the the right words? I mean, it sounds to me like this feeling of being genderqueer has been around for a while. And the thing that was really lacking was the words to describe it. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. Well, at least it was for me. I don't know about anyone else. In fact, when I first discovered the word genderqueer and somebody described it as, you know, well, I feel like I'm a boy and a girl put together, I think my first reaction was literally, there's a word for that? <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah that's, I, I think that getting, getting that word, you know, getting that, getting that label can sometimes be very reassuring that, you know, it's common enough, it's it's normal enough that we've taken the time to give it a name. Right, right, definitely. And the same thing also with my sexuality. I mean, I always knew what bisexuality meant, but I wasn't quite sure if it was the word to describe me, because I always thought bisexuality meant, you know, you know, 50-50, you, you know, 50% like boys and 50% like girls. But, you know, the more I studied it, the more I realized, well, no, 
that it it doesn't have to be exactly fifty fifty. It can actually be a little bit more fluid. Where like like there are sometimes I'm a little bit more boy crazy and sometimes a little bit more girl crazy. But the bottom line is, no matter what direction I go, I can still fall in love with anybody of any gender. You know. Sure. Yeah. the The thing I've never liked about the Kinsey scale is that it makes it makes it appear as though heterosexuality is the opposite of homosexuality. Um, it, it, it's kind of like the um, uh, the theist and the atheist, and then the the weird agnostic in the middle. It, it, it feels the, the Kinsey scale feels the same way to me with. Uh, Heterosexual on one side, homosexual on the other side, and bisexual uh, stuck weirdly in the middle. When it, it reality seems so much more, reality doesn't seem to make it look like these are opposites. That, that they're they're more interrelated. I guess I don't know what I'm saying. I'm gonna have to. Well, cut I that. think I kind of get what you're saying. Now, as far as the Kinsey scale. Goes. Uh, they've actually come up with a newer um, sexuality uh, spectrum, which is more like uh, mm. a table, or instead of like a line where you have like gay on one end and straight on the other. Um, it kind of looks more like this new this new table kind of looks more like a color chart. Mm-hmm. But even then, you know, I think sexuality is more like a is a lot more three D than mm. that. I, like I, I don't know if you can really express it in three dimensions. You know, when when, when you know your only options are either one dimension or two dimension. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I th- I, th- I like a lot of things about people. Um, sexuality, especially, uh, is just a bit more complicated than numbers on a scale. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, now I'm running a little short on time, so um, I I really want to get to uh, most important thing that I have to talk about tonight. This is important thing. Yes. <laughs> I saw on your Facebook page a TARDIS. Oh. There's a TARDIS on your Facebook page, Trav. I saw it there. Yes. It's a. It, yes, it, it's not just a flying blue police box. So uh, I'm going to have to argue with you a little bit, probably, about who is the best okay. doctor. So who was the best doctor, Trav? Ten. Ten. That was uh, David Tennant? Oh, crap, we're not going to argue. <laughs> uh, well, that was that was anticlimactical. Uh, I do actually uh, sometimes have Christopher Eccleston, um, that he'd be number nine, uh, in high regard. He, he, he left the series far too quickly, as that actor tends to do. Right, right, definitely. I hate it when people say skip nine. It's like, no, you can't skip nine because number one, if you skip the first season, then you'll never, you'll completely miss how Rose and the Doctor's relationship was first established. And number two, Christopher Eccleston is just awesome. Christopher Eccleston was awesome. 
Um, he was easy on the eyes, to be sure. And uh, he, and at the very end of season nine is when we get introduced to Captain Jack Harkness. And oh, yes. that guy, wow. Um, whenever we will, my wife and I will watch uh, uh, season nine just so that we can go back and see Captain Jack again. Um, the Torchwood series, although he's in it, um, had some bad storylines. So, so we go uh, back and find <laughs> we go back and find the um, uh, the the, the uh, Doctor Who ser- uh, episodes that that have Jack Harkness in them. Uh, you didn't like Matt Smith. Um, I like Matt Smith, but um, like if I had to make a list of like favorites, it would probably be um, now. I should say that I haven't. I haven't seen a lot of the old Who episodes. I've seen a couple with Tom Baker, and I think I saw, like, the first few serials with the original Dr. William Hartnell. But, mm. but I'm more familiar with the uh, new Who series. Um, my two favorites are 10 and 9, but I also love 11, and I'm just now starting to get into 12. Um, I don't know. I, it seemed like when um, during Peter Capaldi's first season with Doctor Who, it seemed like neither Stephen Moffat nor Capaldi really know what they were doing. They were still trying to get their feet wet. But now I think um, I like I, I, I like the last uh, season. You know, it was pretty good. I think the um, they're really trying to get they, they really know what they're doing with the doctor. Um, so I am a little tired of Clara. Um, it's not that I don't like, um, Jenna Louise Coleman. I think she's fine. The character, it has, has been around for too long. Um, um, it's one of the nice things about the doctor is that, the entire cast is always changing. Oh um, yes, th- that's that's always been part of the appeal uh, for me, anyway. Right. Is that you never know who you're going to get. Um, right. Well, kind of, sort of. I mean, you know what I mean. Um, uh, and uh, Tom Baker was absolutely the best Doctor from the uh, from the original series. Uh, there oh, wasn't yes. there, there wasn't another. Uh, it, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but. Uh, I, I'm waiting for Peter Capaldi to take on a new companion. Um, it, it 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 just feels old now. With when, when Clara was the Impossible Girl, the series was awesome. Now that she's wow. no longer the Impossible Girl, and we seem to have graduated her from that, I don't know what we're doing with her anymore. Ah, uh, I see. You know what I mean? Um, right. Well, it's. I don't know, actually was sort of, um, I, I didn't really like The Impossible Girl because I felt like, it felt like she was more of an enigma rather than an actual character, you know? It's like, I, I kind of like well-developed characters rather than just simply, I don't know, eye candy. <laughs> right, well, but... Th- I, 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 it, it harkened back to 
my favorite doctor, Tennant, when we had um, uh, Donna, and and she appeared for one. She appeared just just as a uh, in one episode, and then she and then she wasn't the companion anymore, and then she became the standard companion like a season later. That was fun, and right. and and so I was kind of hoping that we'd have a parallel with that with Clara, but 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 then but then eventually Donna was no longer there, and Clara's still here. So what the hell is she doing there? Anyway, uh, <laughs> not that I want everybody in Doctor Who to die, but there are a lot of people who die in Doctor Who, and I don't know. Right. She, she's she's still alive. So what's you know? I'm, I'm not saying I want her to die. Okay, I'm just saying that it's weird that she hasn't died. <laughs> uh, Trav, I want to say that uh, uh, the By Any Means podcast is quickly becoming one of my favorites. It, oh, thank you. It, it, it really is a fun podcast to listen to. It brings... Uh, the, the, there, are, there are podcasts that I love. And, and of course, there's the Gatheist Manifesto, which, which talks about many of the same issues that you do. But you have a way, you yourself have a way, of bringing the issues... A, a, a very human perspective, um, right. uh, a perspective of, of people that are that are experiencing these things uh, for themselves. That I think sometimes we can forget that um, when we talk about discrimination, when we talk about um, uh, when, when we talk about the the hardships. And the and, and the and the and the struggles that the LGBT community and, and, and the genderqueer community have, we can we can sometimes forget that there are real people attached to these uh, with real lives. Uh, and you make an amazing podcast and blog to bring us those human stories. Um, that's that's just really cool. Um, so if there are any if there's anybody out there. Right now, who's never gone to Trav Mamone, if they've never gone to the By Any Means podcast, if they've never been to the By Any Means website, Trav, tell them where to go so they can be made whole again. Easy. Just go to uh, www.byanymeans.com, and that's by spelled B-I. Fantastic. And can they stalk you on Facebook? Can they follow you on, I don't know, whatever the heck else, pins? Instagram. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just search uh, Trav Mamone. Um, you can follow the By Any Means page on Facebook at facebook.com slash By Any Means Podcast. Uh, you can uh, friend me on Facebook. Just uh, look for Trav Mamone. Uh, my Twitter handle is uh, T Mamone. And um, yeah, that's about it. Awesome. Trav, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show tonight and for giving up your opportunity to watch the GOP debates. I know that you were looking forward to those. <laughs> uh, and, and to spend some time with me, uh, I truly appreciate all the great stuff you do. You're an awesome human being. Thanks so much. Well, thanks for having me. All right, everybody. That's the end of my episode, of my interview with Trav Ramon. Again, go check out all the great things that they're doing because Trav is doing amazing stuff. Until next time, take care of yourselves. God isn't here. We are. Good night.
like fan page for the Atheist Roundtable at slash Atheist Roundtable on Facebook or find your host at slash Andrew the Atheist. Send all of your email to Andrew the Atheist at gmail.com. This podcast is the official podcast of Atheists, Humanists, and Agnostics of the Wabash Valley. Find us on Facebook for monthly meetups. Music for this episode is provided, as always, by Dick Richards. Thank you, Dick. God isn't here. We are. Take care of yourselves.